the video game hour. My in name the is AM. <laughs> in the AM, PM, whatever. Video game day. Yeah. Um, oh, and we are we have a special guest. My name's Tavi. And I'm Yusuf. And on the Skype Google Hangout, whatever's working at the moment, we've got our friend Joe. Oh yeah. We're joined by yes. Joe Russ over here. Uh, Joe Russ. You know, maker of motion graphics art and video games alike um working on jenny leclue right now right yeah that's you... what i'm doing yeah cool doing do, you want... <laughs> do you want to tell us a little, a little bit about uh, jenny leclue and like that process kind of you know just like you know give us a quick summary of what that game's all about yeah it's a uh sure it's an <laughs> indie kind of story driven game it's sort of uh it's about a girl named jenny leclue who's like a young detective in a kind of small fictional town um, and basically she's like kind of bored out of her mind and wishes for kind of real crimes to solve. And then her mom is accused of murder and she kind of gets more than she, she bargains for very like eighties, um, movie style. Mm-hmm. And then she basically starts to slowly unravel all this crazy stuff in her town while she's trying to find the real killer of the former Dean of the kind of local college. Mm. So it's, uh, I'm not explaining that well, but it's, uh, yeah, it's like, uh, the closest I could say it's sort of like adventure point and click inspired, but it's not a point and click game, sort of a Kentucky Route Zero or um, Telltale kind of game. Yeah, where it's not like about the puzzles as much as it's about the kind of narrative experience. Yeah, and there's there are some puzzles and other things, but they're pretty uh, streamlined because it's definitely about the characters and the the world building and the atmospheric kind of uh, what happens next. So it's sort of a like Twin Peaks meets Lost um, with like. A kid. That's an amazing pedigree. And actually, when we, <laughs> I was going to say, just throw it all in there, man. That's fantastic. And when we saw you uh, just a couple weeks ago at the Kill Screen Festival, oh, yeah. it was great to see you kind of uh, on stage or on panel. Uh, basically with another element of your pedigree, which was uh, uh, the woman who is now the head writer of the Nancy Drew. I guess it's the graphic novel, right? Yeah. 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 It was That's super, super we, cool. Like, continued on with that. Which is also fitting because uh, I also totally left that part out that Jenny LeClue takes place in a fictional book series that a fictional author is writing. Oh. So she lives in a fictional town in a fictional series of sort of Nancy Drew inspired books by a fictional author named Arthur K. Finkelstein. Nice. And set up, the setup is at the beginning of the story that basically his um, publisher is going to drop the series because he's been writing these kind of... Um, uh, whatever the opposite term is of serial, where it's like, you know, these kind of, um, Ginny never grows up, none of the characters change, which is very fitting to be talking about Nancy Drew, where there's a lot of issues where she can't grow up, she can't fall in love with anyone. Right. And so he's writing these books that he thinks are great, and everyone else, no one's buying them because they're like, well, they're kind of dumb, and um, she's not really being challenged, and she never kind of evolves in any way. Um, and so he's kind of being pressured to write this last book internally, maybe to write a book that's not terrible. And so he'd start of, he still is fighting himself with rather to write kind of a very cotton candy surface level book and sort of subconsciously write something darker or weirder or different from what he's used to. And so like some of that comes out kind of unexpectedly for him during the game. And ultimately, the game is sort of envisioned as a trilogy. So the first part is kind of getting into Ginny's world as an authentic world. Uh And then it starts to, their worlds kind of start to merge later. But the first one is all about her world and her life and kind of understanding her situation. Interesting. So you kind of narratively move from a more concrete space to a more abstracted one. Is that kind of where you're, you're going with it? Yeah. So for me, the first one, first volume, which is what we're making, should feel 
pretty traditional and expected with like a few kind of silly things. I mean, if we, if we finish the first one and people like it and we're able to make the second and third parts, then things will get crazier and crazier. Interesting. You're going to go for like a David Lynchian vibe where like under the surface things are get real freaky. <laughs> but <laughs> not, and not to that extent. Somewhere between uh, <laughs> Lost and uh, Twin Peaks or sci-fi and the sort of weirder magical realism of the like david lynch kind of horror in suburbia that kind of uh, thing and obviously like i really want gray characters i was watching a thing recently with um stephen king and george rr R. martin talking and i thought he described that really well which is like real people right we're all good good guys one day evil guys or girls the next day like we make good and bad choices and uh, i'm really interested in our characters being gray characters where they might make bad choices for good reasons uh, you know, or good choices for bad reasons. So sure, yeah, I feel like those are often the most interesting characters, especially as we have grown up and realized that life is no longer in this sort of like black or white. Uh, yeah, there's a spectrum. There's a spectrum of morality. There's a spectrum of choice we can make. And Jenny LeClue, how old is she when we find her in this story? Uh, we're not specific about her age, but we'll say she is preteen. So ah. Um, uh, but she's sort of thinks she's, you know, wise beyond her years. Um, of course. And that's one of the themes is certainly for her is she thinks everything starting out is very black and white. And then she has to kind of face as the story evolves. She has to evolve to mm-hmm. understand that everyone involved in her world is both more interesting and more multidimensional than she thinks in terms of their character. You know, that like, oh, people can be contradictory in their nature and still be who they are, you know? Absolutely. Um, and she has to slowly kind of come to grips with that idea that that people she hates maybe aren't that bad and that people she thought she could trust are, you know, uh, maybe more unreliable than she thinks and that, you know, you can still respect those people but not trust them. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. So, they're, you know, so we're trying to have, uh, even though I think people, some people might perceive it as more of a kid's game, we're trying to write for us complex characters regardless of their age that we kind of respect. And maybe could I ask you a question about your process? Sure. Yeah, like do you, are you writing this? You're the lead writer? Uh, so it's me and Ben Sisley co-making the game together. We're the two kind of full-time people. So we're both writing it um, together. Can you say his name one more time? and cut out really quickly. Briefly. Oh, ben Tillett. Okay, Ben cool. Tillett. Cool, because I was wondering, you know, because now that I'm understanding that you're basically writing a character within another fictional character's universe... When you approach Jenny LeClue, are you approaching her as the writer or are you approaching her sort of as the subject specifically? Because I feel like there might be, uh, especially when we think about like morally gray choices for someone who is within the age range that you've described, there may be certain societal restrictions we place upon how gray or how dark we can go with the choices that a preteen or a teenager may go. So I just wonder like how when you approach it, do you approach it as the writer self-censoring or writing for that fictional publisher or are you just jenny and like that's the essence that we're capturing yeah i mean i think the cool thing is because we also have these social story choices we're trying where um players can also change the way we write the story oh. i kind of think about us as the developers and then whenever we're writing from someone's point of view i just try to uh really engross myself in that character so if it's something the author is writing, it's like, who is he? Where is he in the story at this point? How would he write this or not? Or, you know, something comes out of that that you wouldn't expect, but it's from his subconscious. Versus when Ginny's talking, it's like, we have a pretty good sense of her kind of <laughs> attitude, her demeanor, her 
personality. It's like, if I'm Ginny, what is the way I approach this? Not what is the plot dictate? Right. Which, you know, I'm, I'm pretty structuralist because I'm just afraid that everything I do will be a mess. So we still kind of plot out uh, stuff and we're trying to do kind of a mystery that, you know, has a lot of, uh, you know, threading a lot of needles and kind of paying them off at certain points. So it's like, that stuff feels like you have to kind of like look at it big picture. But then when we're doing like a scene or a moment, I always really try to just get into the character and just be like, here's what we roughly said needs to happen. But if I was Jenny, I actually totally disagree with that. So the way I'm going to approach it is going to be, you know, like my goal is the opposite of that. I don't care about this plot point. How do I interact in this scene? And, you know, that's not writers first. So uh, we're slow at that. And I'm not (laughs) saying it'll always be good, but. Well, I think like strong, strong characters, strong characters will like kind of keep that thread moving. Like even if the, you know, mysteries are difficult, right? Like, look at Lost. Like, it's yeah. still, yeah. you know, uh, a, a show that's beloved, even though it's controversial because of the way it ends. Even, but because, even though Smoke Monster, even though Smoke Monster, <laughs> but the the characters and the uh, the world building is still like really strong. So like, it's still like a, I consider it like a, a success. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah it's just and like I, yeah. I think I Lost is a great example where like for me, I actually don't care about the answers most of the time. Yeah. And the problem with something like Lost is there would just be no way to make a satisfactory ending. Yeah. I think they could have maybe done what they did a little better, but just there's so many, you know, question marks they created. There's no way to pay those all off. No way for any of those things to make sense. But the ride, I thought, was so compelling. And, yeah, the characters generally were so interesting and the twist so good that it's like it doesn't really matter, I think. Yeah. Uh, and we're hoping that that we, we try to make as much as we can make sense, but I'm hoping that the ride is engaging and that you want to kind of see what these characters do or how you can influence what they do yeah so. i mean well yusuf and i both wish you and leclue massive success i mean mm. it's such a cool concept and when i finally saw art from the game i was personally blown away because i know you you and yusuf met through your work animating so i mean the art style alone was incredible um and then hearing you speaking about the game it's just it's really exciting i also i'm excited if it does take off you kind of seem to have you can go in either direction. You're kind of in media res in a way where like, it's like the last book uh, in a series of books, which I'm sure have not even been maybe fully developed in your own mind. It, it seems really cool. You could take the story in a lot of different places, yeah. a lot of different directions. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we definitely love the idea that if we get to like the second part that um, Jenny could kind of enter the author's world in a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, not sure how we'd want to do that, but we love the idea that yeah, there are. Maybe he's written thirty of these other books that exactly. aren't great, but maybe there's a point where she's like hopping around inside moments from these other books to kind of solve sort of a meta mystery. But or it'd be like a stranger than fiction type plot where you know it, the author's well, life has weird reflections of the yeah. story. Well, it's very it's very much stranger than fiction because right now it's like Jenny, like even in the playable teaser, Jenny responds to the author's voice as though he's a person in the room, but yep. she doesn't. She's not really self-aware. It's like he's a voice in her head, not not in a crazy way, but like they're kind of aware of each other, but they're not talking to each other. Uh, and we like that idea that there's a conversation there versus just the author just narrating or being totally separate from the story, especially because we do want to later kind of have those things come more head yeah. to head that at one point, Ginny is kind of aware of her maker uh, and vice versa, where it's like, we like this idea of it being the reverse of like, the sell of video games of uh, you know you control the story which we may have pitched that in the Kickstarter <laughs> I like that but I like this idea that you kind of 
uh, influence the story or, or you put interest in the story, but that like we have an author, we have us, the developers, we have Jenny, the hero, all struggling for like, no, no, this is my story. It should go how I want. And that idea that, um, that it's sort of a cooperative authorship or that, that maybe that feeling of that. Yeah. Um, I'm I mean, at least interested in us exploring. I don't know if it'll come off that way, but um, I like that idea that everyone thinks it's their story. They're the hero of their story. And it's like, how does everyone keep kind of pushing the story in different directions? Well, if there's, I mean, it's interesting. It. We've definitely, Yusuf and I have talked about how the rigidity of, you know, creating a closed system like a video game is actually quite anemic or uh, antithetical to the idea of truly being able to like control or affect a story because in the end you're basically walking down preset paths that the developers have you know populated and written out but I guess for someone who's playing in that uh, in a similar medium in a medium that begs uh, the the promise of control or influence to a certain aspect are there any games that you've played that have kind of like gotten that balance correct like even within the sort of fence of you know, I'm not really controlling the story. I'm pushing towards a predetermined path. Any any of them that really have struck you within the medium that like have worked for you that you felt like a great influence over story, where you had a great influence over story, um, even in just in feeling, just the way you yeah, came away. I don't know because because I'm actually really okay with very linear games. Same here. Like, yeah, I'm very uh, just to just to like ruin what you're setting up there. Like sandbox games are hard for me because it feels kind of aimless. Yeah. I get bored pretty quick and I'm, I just grew up just kind of a cinephile. So it's like, I like the idea of a really interesting kind of, uh, not controlled experience, but a narrower experience where there's a lot more attention to detail. Like I just finished playing inside oh, um, cool. limbo spiritual successor. And that's yeah. an example where it's very, very linear, but it's like, that's exactly where I'm like, I don't mind because it's like, I'm interested in what are you guys interested in? How does that come out in this? And because you can focus it so narrowly, I can really get a strong sense of what that is that you're interested in. Whereas if you have to do some kind of sandbox open world, it's like you have to spread those resources thinner. Yes. And it feels like it becomes more of a broad place for, I guess, you to kind of author your own story more. But for me, I'm like, I'm not really interested in my voice that much. When Fair. I'm playing a game, I'm interested... Like, a great documentary is, like, getting me interested in something I wouldn't care about. And it's, like, whoever is crafting that kind of story is so fascinated and obsessive about it that it makes me care about it and makes me interested in it. I feel like yeah. that way in games. Like, I feel like it's like a conversation where, like, you know, you are, as a player, you're listening to the, de the developer tell a story, but you're also, you know, the developer can't continue unless you, like, Kind of embrace what they're going for like yeah, it's like a yeah. big thing of a big you know problem of designing games is like you want um the player to have a you know some kind of experience that is more or less what you what you would have if you were playing it yourself yeah. but obviously players can always stop or turn around or not f find the glowing object that you put in front of them or what what, what not and inside yeah. inside i actually also played inside which i um we could both talk about that, yeah. but yeah, I mean, what y'all been playing? Um, yeah, yeah, played just, it through. Yeah, uh, so it. I think it'll be yeah. funny. This will be good to talk about in Uncharted because uh, mm. I've really yeah. been getting, having not made a game at this scope before, uh, Jenny Leclue. I've really been paying more attention to the way people do try to um, sort of uh, do their sort of psychological and visual cues to get you to play the game the yes. way they want. Yep. And I'm always been the kind of person who immediately ignores that. Um, 
and in Uncharted, it was just really interesting uh, how they that and how some of that worked and some of it didn't. But sure, yeah, talk about that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we can touch back on that. For sure. um, yeah, I mean, it, something that struck me playing Inside was really how tightly polished an experience it was for the most part. Like, it's a very short game; it takes about three hours to play through, and you and well, did you it? I did. I played it through okay. twice actually. <laughs> Oh, wow. I was, I was okay. just like, I want to play it again because it's like there's so much detail to the world that you want to see it twice. Yeah, and it, coming from like a motion design place, um, you know, they had that kind of uh, quality to Limbo, but right, it definitely feels like every moment you can feel that it's hand touched, and it mm-hmm. made me think more of like watching an animated short. Oh yeah, it's not really short on like Vimeo or yep. kind of weirdly, it made me it invokes invokes Pixar for me. Yeah. Supposed to have positive and negative feelings about Pixar, but it was like you could just tell that they cared and they had the resources to hand touch every moment, even where you could see where they're re- reusing resources and trying to be efficient about stuff. You still, right? Yeah, everything where, everything where feels polish, like, like it would have just, taken a long time to just animate <laughs> each scene, yeah, even if it wasn't interactive. Like, there's so many great touches to how they animate. Uh, the world, especially the the character of the you playing a little boy, because it's play dead, so the game. Oh yeah, it requires feels, it feels very limbo. Yes, I absolutely. Haven't, I haven't played yeah. it yet, but it definitely feels yeah. right. Um, Can we just assume when they make the third uh, spiritual successor that finally <laughs> we'll have the option to play as a girl? Oh uh, man, I don't, I don't know. think we can. It's, it's Eastern Europe. <laughs> Who knows? I, I think it's Eastern Europe. I think it's Scandinavia. Perhaps, oh, it's Scandinavia. But, yeah. Um, so then no yeah. way. Sorry, no, nobody but white male protagonists. But so, um, okay, okay. <laughs> just don't, don't get your hopes up. To not okay. the, yeah to to keep it on track, <laughs> um, the little boy like has a re- like incredible range of like kind of animation mm. that really like tells a story in a way that a lot of platformers don't. Like it feels like way more involved than a platformer normally would. Just like when I, some things I notice like when you hang on a rope like and you try and swing it, it like it actually like he like puts his feet on the rope and like moves his whole body to like to like kind of swing on the rope and like it actually really feels like you're watching like kind of a snippet of animation that is very like particular to that that one usage usage, whereas like you know it's not always the case like in most platformers there's a lot of shortcuts that necessarily have to be made like to to get it done but it's very clear that they've like been working on this for a long time and and it comes through and, and i mean and not just like the level of detail but the what, the reason that the detail is there like it's there because this the explicit story in the game is non-existent like all the story is delivered through um all of the animation details all the background details the noise the atmosphere the tone so i i found that to be like probably my favorite aspect of the game you know yeah, they're speaking yeah. in in motion yeah and i would think uh one of my favorite things that they definitely stuck to and i could be wrong but is in limbo as well is they um, use basically no music, minimal music um, for the majority of it. Um, so normally it's just a sound, uh, like a soundscape, um, where it's like, if I were in this forest, what does the forest sound like? Right. Instead of trying to tell you, hey, this should be scary, this should be exciting with some kind of, you know, melodic thing. Mounting and, dread, um, mounting dread, mounting dread. <laughs> yeah, and I think that minimalist thing speaks to its atmosphere too. So, uh, I could be wrong, but there must be somewhere where they have some music. Maybe not. I don't know. But 
the few times when they do yeah. have it, I think, or sound cues, then it's even more effective because it's such a minimal thing. And maybe out of the first one, it came out of the maybe a like practical yeah. concern. I'm not sure, but it's like it definitely liked that idea. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the they do a lot of stuff with like machine based sound, which I always love, 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 love when games do that. Like, you know, like that a pit, like a piston pumping. Yeah, that one area. I don't want to spoil yeah. it for oh, time. No, no, you guys, we are categorically a spoiler-filled show. You may spoil okay. it. I also, okay. like, I don't know when you're going to play it because it's only on yeah, Xbox yeah, yeah. and Please, PC. Spoil away. Spoil away. Are you yeah. talking about the area where there's, like, a giant, like, um, electric blast thing that happens? Yeah. And I like the idea yeah. that, unless I'm wrong, you never actually find or identify the source of that. No. You're Very cool. Just, it was, felt like it was just a excuse for... A specific kind of gameplay and a just kind of weird uh, feeling yeah. at that space, there, and I, I was like, "That's cool." There are several moments in the game where it has a kind of like a repeating, like staccato style soundscape that interacts. That actually, that actually is a puzzle in itself. Like the foreground or background elements maybe yeah. more activate based on the sound. Not oh, the, yeah, not, that's the, uh, they're reflective of the sound. Like you know, right. so like there's a scene where you have to blend in with like these other kind of like zombie. Um, kind of golem type people that the game centers around uh-huh. like there's these people that are just controlled by some kind of mind control and you're like, kind of supposedly this like escaped iteration of that or Very something cool. and so you have this one scene where you're kind of get you, you fall into like the, a bunch of people who are like being basically processed like cattle and like you have to just like slowly walk through but like mimic their movement so they're like shuffling and then stopping oh. shuffling and there's like a camera like watching you so you're like Gotta like pretend I'm a zombie, and nice. but they're like doing this awesome like kind of step, step, stop, and then like you yeah. hear them jump. They have to, have to like test to jump, and it's like, and it makes like it's literally music. Like it's like you know, it, as much as you know, any music is like the, those sounds are, are are creating like a repeating melody that you then it's almost like a rhythm game, like a super twisted yeah. rhythm yeah. game. Kick, yeah. punch, moment, it's all right? in the mind. Yeah, <laughs> and it's I think that's one of the best parts of the game where everything is coming together there where you're like okay i've been watching these sort of uh lines of people going somewhere and i'm not sure what's happening and now and i keep hearing that rhythm in the background so i've internalized it now and now i'm like part of that and it's like again you're like free to do what you want but you basically have to fake compliance in that moment and it's really good in that like that kind of stuff stresses me out in a yeah game, totally. where it's like Actually, what I'm doing is, like, it's important that I just not do anything for a minute. And that's more stressful for me because games are so easy to just be kind of jumping and running and just constantly just doing stuff yeah, without yeah. thinking about it. And yeah. it's like, no, no, this is about control and, like, you think sort of being literally in their footsteps there. It's, like, it's it's weirdly both simple and really kind of yeah, I mean, like it, doing it works nothing. on that kind of psychological level too, where it's actively asking you to conform to something, and you have yeah. to like mechanically conform to mm-hmm. something. And if if that has anything to do, I mean, you guys were mentioning Gollum and mind control. Oh, it yeah. certainly seems like a thematic <laughs> that you're the one breaking away from that. It's kind of cool in like a ludonarratological uh, way to have a really uh, explicit connection between mm-hmm. the sort of fictive elements of what's happening to the character and the player who's controlling that character. Absolutely. It's a yeah. cool moment. Um, yeah. And uh, it actually reminds me a lot of uh, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, like the multiplayer, which is like my favorite part. I don't know if you've played it, but it's my favorite part of like any Assassin's Creed 
game ever. You know this guy, he doesn't sandbox. He don't sandbox. No way. <laughs> it is very sandbox. I've no way. Assassin's Creed, but I haven't uh, played the multiplayer. What um, the multiplayer is basically this game where you are all assassins and you're trying, and you kind of get, you have to kill each other. And so there's like about five of you, but, um, you know, Assassin's Creed has that famous thing where you blend in with a crowd. So yeah. in the multiplayer component, you can you find a crowd and you can actually walk up to them and the game will take over your AI so it looks like you're just like a regular crowd person and you just wait there and you just nice. like stand there while you see the other guy who's trying to chase you dash past the nice. camera. <laughs> like, like, where the fuck is he? Where is he? Where is he? Like trying to like stab, you know, and if you stab like an innocent person, you lose a point and like, and you get, and the person who's your target like is freed from your like hunt. So the whole thing is trying to convince them that you're an AI so that they will then, like, stab the wrong person. And it's such a cool thing for, like, a game that is, in a lot of ways, while it was, like, you know, groundbreaking in the beginning, has a lot of repeating elements so to it's like, it. It's, like, inside, but with competitive stabbing. Exactly. No, inside, <laughs> inside with people. With like, people. you know, yeah, and, yeah. and the people are the ones who are, are testing you to make yeah, sure no, that, you are, that you're, you are who you say you are. So being able to fake... Um, fake your your identity in a game is always very powerful. Yet another. Yeah, I think I think my favorite thing about Inside, um, in general, I love underwater stuff. But they have a whole middle section where they just you suddenly get your own private submersible nice. like mini sub. Mm. Uh, and it reminded me. I, I mean, I love that whole section. But I think my favorite thing they actually do in a very traditional because it's it is a very traditional game. But it's just sort of like the peak of the as you would say, the polish of that, is that every time they introduce a new thing, they introduce kind of a new mechanic with it. And they, I, I can't think of any part where you do something different that didn't have its own kind of unique mechanic to go with it. So even the sub has a thing where you can charge up like sort of like a boost of the sub where for a second you kind of jump forward and they use that. So sometimes you have to jump over a thing that's out of the water nice. in the sub. Um, that the only way to get there is with the submarine by doing that or you have to smash walls but then there's a trade-off where like uh there's you know certain sort of creatures who are kind of hunting you and when you use that little thing if you bump into something your sub is kind of stuck for a few seconds and if you if you do that wrong then this creature that's chasing you will catch up with you smash the glass and basically drown you or eat, eat you the or crap something. out of you yeah. yeah that's so cool it's so it, when that happened i was like oh no <laughs> <laughs> i do i do remember the deaths in limbo being just completely gruesome yeah like, within yeah. the confines of an art style like that which is a lot of shadow play yeah and, you know, yeah i just... think that's an i think that's an interesting thing here too is it actually feels much uh like sometimes i felt like i had to turn away in this one because really? in limbo the character is a silhouette, and he's more a little bit more cartoony. And this one has more kind of naturalistic nuance. It's yeah. still yep. stylized, but so he, and and the deaths are less fantasy feeling for me. Like mm. in the beginning, in the forest, you can get shot by another man. Ah, sure. And it feels actually really like it was kind of upsetting for me. Yeah, it felt sure. Much like I don't know why, but in Limbo, you know, when a giant spider stabs your silhouette, kind of shadow puppet boy it was gruesome but it was still kind of distanced and this felt kind of like i just watched a child get murdered and yeah. i was like well yeah. it's more meaningful but i also kind of am more like upset <laughs> like i don't know if i want to keep playing this because yeah. you know there's like dogs kind of ripping him up and things that are feel much more kind of relatable yeah and it was like i you know i guess in the the sort of horror sense that makes it 
work better, but also made me more like, oh, I'm kind of uh, disgusted with myself that I like let this boy. Oh yeah, die. But I think I think you're actually touching on something that doesn't just you know affect uh, the video games. It's just in the visual and sort of fantastical mediums. Like actually, just last night, uh, my wife and I finally sat down and watched the Babadook. And like comparing Babadook to something like Drag Me to Hell, where they're both like essentially monster or creature films, they actually both touch on. Uh, horror elements of like possession and otherworldly like whatever enter. I don't know if you've seen them both, but it was interesting because yeah. like we watched Drag Me to Hell, and that feels and falls more into a campier and cartoonish level of uh, horror or violence. But the thematics yeah. and the sort of depth at which we explore a mother's grief uh, and sort of postpartum depression and grief over the loss of her spouse, like those psychological themes I think were a little bit more realistically portrayed uh, and hit a lot closer to home for the audience in this case my wife where she like lost a lot of sleep last night I have, mm. <laughs> like, we were like tossing and turning all night versus Drag Me to Hell where very much you know visually actually quite comparable in terms of medium as well uh, but the thematics were just way more realistic or accessible in one versus the other the Lamia ghost versus the like ghost of grief of like a real death Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, definitely. Babadook becomes more psychological horror, and versus sort of splatter. Yeah, splatter exactly. Splatterfest, and I think that definitely that's, that's a good comparison. I think for between Limbo and Inside, because yeah, Limbo is a lot more. Um, yeah, it is definitely more gruesome, um, and cartoonish. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like if you get cut in half and all sorts of things, and that does happen in Inside. But I feel like Inside actually died a lot less, maybe because I knew like. Limbo. Yeah, um, you've learned. You've I, learned. Their rules, I'm like, that's right? a trap. Yeah, and I also feel like it's generally less dangerous. But it, like, it is. But the, I felt a lot more tension in, in inside, and like, and definitely like, um, apprehension about the world, like, and 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 walking through it, like, it just everything felt way more. This it feels wrong in a way that like Limbo is just kind of like a nightmare world, and then inside. It, is more like I don't know. There's something about it that it's it's still a nightmare, but it's also like if that that verisimilitude, that like closeness to reality, like yeah. definitely yeah. like gives it it's, way more of an edge, a weird, a weird edge. Yeah, I think it crosses some imaginary line where it's just explicit enough that it becomes like disturbing. Well, like you're saying, it crosses towards Babadook versus um, uh, Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, yeah, where it's like. Something about it is just is just all the things working together and more relatable. There's a horrible part where I assume they knew this, where you have to use these little tiny ducks or oh god things to get. You have to suck them into a giant machine to kind of shoot at like you know something to create like a platform to jump on. And Damn. the first thing my wife was watching me play, and the first thing she said was like, "You're not gonna have to like kill those those little ducklings, are you?" And I was like, "I think they're setting us up." <laughs> <laughs> Or we're yeah. going to have to do it, and it's the only way. And yeah. I'm like, I think that, I think that's you don't, and you don't have to kill them, so that's better. That's but huge. Like the fact that it's creating that tension, right? You're like, there's no other way through. I'm yeah. gonna have to like suck these guys in this thing. I'm just gonna like shoot, you know, blood and feathers out. I don't want to be that. I don't want to have to do that. But there's nothing else to do. Yeah. So it's like making you. Uh, like I thought that was great, and I think every moment they have like that where it feels hand touched, you can just tell they all just were like brainstorming all these things they wanted yeah. to do and they actually did 90% of them especially the end the end is uh, oh incredible <laughs> which which i had some concerns about but there's some really amazing moments in that where it's like 
oh no, you guys just did the, you just did it all. All the things that normally you go, <laughs> oh, it'd be cool if they did that. They actually did it. Where yeah. every other game, or even maybe a movie or a TV show ever, they usually don't do it. It's just kind of backgrounded. I don't. I don't really still. I don't really want to spoil it, but yeah, it's like they actually do. Uh, there's some really nice things they do there, right? Awesome. We can move on. Yeah. yeah. Because I could talk about Inside Forever. Yeah, I mean, and and also just for the sake of time, and thank you guys, spoilers, and for our listeners, spoilers. Yeah, why don't we uh, move on to the game of the hour? We've got a a little time. Yeah, that sounds good. So um, the game of the hour for uh, for this hour is Uncharted 4, as was hinted a couple times in our our conversation. So um, Mm. Uncharted 4 by Naughty Dog uh, is now the fourth, obviously, and seemingly final entry. Uh, in the long-running uh, tale of Nathan Drake. Never say never. Never say never. <laughs> There's the ultimate ruse. And Nathan Drake is a sort of self-styled, somewhere between Indiana Jones and Han Solo, this, like, you know, white male adventure dude who goes around and finds all these hidden treasures and, you know, tales of lore, basically, that we've actually, that, that in the real world, we've handed down. A lot of them are based on real legends, like, Shangri-La and like Lost City of Gold and all these sure. different places. So throughout, throughout the series, Nathan's been exploring these uh, sort of like cryptozoological areas and these mysteries of mankind and coming up with everything from yetis to spirit warriors and whatever. And this one, Uncharted 4, Thief's End, uh, I don't know, it, it feels a little different. It felt a little different to me. It's it's set up in quite a few different ways um, and it, it sort of pays out, I think, in, in quite a few different ways in the rest of the series. So yeah. I think I'll just like open it up to sure. you guys first, and Joe, maybe since you're our guest, you can kick us off if that's not too much pressure. Like, what did you you played? Have you played all the games in this series, or just this one? Did you? Yeah, I've I've played them all. I have a sort of uh, I I love those games. I love those kind of games. Um, I obviously have qualms with them, but um, yeah, overall, sure. I, th- I think they're like I was describing earlier. Like, I love kind of rich, kind of linear. Yes. More linear game experiences. Um, this is your game. I mean, it sounds like that's your game. It's yeah. very linear. And it's interesting because Uncharted 4, they're trying to, I think, open it up a little bit yeah. to feel less linear. Um, I mean, I still felt, felt like it was pretty linear. So. Well, they here. kind of like create hub environments for sometimes for exploring, sometimes for combat. I feel like a lot of the combat were in like big arenas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which wasn't as, as much the case in the previous ones. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't play 3. So oh, I'm not okay. sure, like... Well, they had experimented with these kinds of, uh, what Joe is describing, these, like, almost, like, open area encounters, yeah. uh, but they had never messed with any areas that were quite as large as even the smallest open encounter areas in Uncharted sure. 4. I remember there were a couple, like, plazas and stuff in some of the older games, like, in Italy and other places like that, where, I, I think it was Italy, I can't remember, but where you're, like, basically stealth, you have the choice of stealthing around or gunfire, but they, they felt a, a fair bit more contained than this one. Yeah. I definitely think it just felt, uh, building off inside, it just felt like they had the time and the resources to make almost exactly the game they wanted, and mm-hmm. you can just feel that when you play it. Um, and I like that I think they made the riskiest choices, which were all these really um, unexciting moments. Sure. Um, which is like things you would put in a TV show, <laughs> and you're like, hey, it's okay to like have two characters hang out and learn a bit more about who they are through their inaction or yeah. their day-to-day thing. And it was like, I, I don't, you know, I get they're like humanizing him more and all of that. But I, like some of my favorite moments were just where there was just like, I think my favorite moment in the game is where he's like really nostalgic in his attic yeah. for mm. all his old adventures. Cause he's, semi, you know, uh, currently retired at the sort of beginning of the game. And so 
they make you do it, I think, but you have to do like a, a Nerf gun, like yeah. foam gun, imaginary shootout of yeah. like yeah. past adventures. Like, did you really like, do this, dude? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're just like shooting at things in your attic? Okay. Like. Yeah, and I just thought that was such a like super, for a AAA, massive budget, big game, that's a very risky move to have a like humanizing, kind of silly, nostalgic moment in that way where he's like, longing for that and he's kind of you know and it's still very masculine because they're showing he's kind of you know had his his wings cut off and so that's where he's like going to play in the garage kind of thing the rumpus room the like man cave yeah but it was just i think it was cool and it was nice that you like play that moment so you like feel that and it was like felt like a breath of fresh air having played you know the other three games yeah where it's like hey it's okay to have parts where you don't have to be super testosterone and jumping off a cliff and shooting at a hundred people, you know? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean, for like, I definitely agree like that they do cover a lot of fictional or narrative fictional ground that you don't see in AAA games. And that's probably what I took away from Uncharted 4 the most um, in terms of the narrative. Like I, I love that the relationship while I have huge problems with parts of how they set it up, yeah. I, I love how they resolved it because basically the main arc of his relationship with Elena, like it's so much about just a relationship that's not, that has some problems, <laughs> but they're just like, we're having problems. This is like, we're having couple problems. Like, and you're like, I can't think of any other game where like, there's a couple problems that don't involve like the woman being kidnapped or like something stupid and action movie focused. Yeah. Like it's literally just like, something's a little wrong. And, like, you know, we're having trouble communicating. And well, like, purports, I think it, like, purports to tell, like, a very common, absolutely. like, relationship. Yeah. Like, the shift of, yeah. like, what happens after marriage or what happens after we commit ourselves to something other than the self-serving goal. But it's done in that very Nathan Drake and Elena way. It's like, oh, you didn't just lie to me. Like, yeah. you lied to me and didn't just go on that Malaysia job. You went to the other side of the planet. And yeah. you're like, yeah, 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 you can't yeah. be sneaking adventures on me. But it does. It tells a kind of a... It feels um, very human. Yeah, a more human story than we're usually treated to in games. I think, yeah. yeah, I think by a long shot. I mean, I definitely think that it's tempered by um, the way it's set up because the beginning of the game, I didn't play three, so maybe I'm missing some backstory, but I'm like, why doesn't he think Elena wants to have an adventure? Yeah, like, that's something that it, I, I had a struggle with. <laughs> and, and like people have, have taught, I've argued with people about it, and they just said that it's he's being dumb. And you're like, yes, he is being dumb, but... There's no, like, you know, it's, I, I thought about it earlier in the context of Last of Us because um, I, it, really, it very much feels like a post-Last of Us game. Yeah. But in Last of Us, like, the main character basically, re, you know, he, do, he, he takes actions that reject what the player, most players generally want to happen. But I feel like there are very clear, like, reasoning and setup for that to happen. Like, the character, Joel in Last of Us, is, like, a violent, selfish, broken man that like he like sees he like he doesn't have he doesn't care about anything else he's very like you know focused around what you know can fill the hole inside of him and so it makes sense when at the end of the game he betrays like kind of the net, the normal heroic arc of a game but in uncharted 4 like we we right off the bat just like nathan drake is just making a lot of decisions that i feel like weren't properly um set up in a way that 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 in any way justifies like you know the, the way the story goes basically he lies to elena multiple times for yeah. Yeah, really no reason that i can understand <laughs> it does seem weird because is it uncharted one that she's introduced yeah, yeah she's introduced in one 
And yeah, she's, she's, so my, she's just super this, crazy this, in that this, game. I haven't really thought about this, but I agree with you. My issue is in Uncharted 1, she is like an adventurous like producer, director, camera person. Yeah. So it is weird that... And, and she's shown to be, you know, probably smarter than him. Absolutely. So it's weird that she doesn't call him on his shit almost immediately when he's clearly lying to her. Exactly. <laughs> she does, you know, she does show up eventually, and I'm assuming all of this is for plot reasons to kind of span it the way they wanted to, yeah. but it does feel like, like in terms of writing as their character, you feel like, yeah, she should be calling him on this shit in chapter, you know, whatever it is, in the beginning of the game. And she should be like, I'm coming with you. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm not doing anything, you yeah. know? And he somehow sneaks out of it, and then she shows up the next day anyway, and she's like, no, you know, I'm not a dummy. I know what you're doing. Exactly. And she does it, but it takes her, like, three-fourths of the story, right? And and it just felt like they just wanted to be able to hold that out so she's not there the whole game because they were like, we also have the brother who's with you the whole time. Exactly. You can't have them both with you the whole time. Yeah, yeah. It's very I, I nakedly also, for plot reasons. Yeah, exactly, for plot reasons. I think yeah. it's, it is a really interesting point you bring up, too. It feels like some of the characters are expertly set up and certainly are rendered in a... In a emotional arc and depth that we don't see in many other games outside of the Naughty Dog canon, but even yet, yet and still, we're still in the mechanics of essentially a triple-A blockbuster action film, mm -hmm. and these yeah. things have to, they have an internal engine that not so silently powers them forward, and to me, honestly, when I played this game, uh, more than any other game in the Uncharted series, it became really apparent to me that the fuel, like the, the real fuel that powers that not-so-silent engine in the Uncharted universe is actually uh, the moment of betrayal of an established trust. The entire game, this one in particular, but actually made the entire series uh, to me became baldly about the moment that the trust that was just established is broken. And this manifests in a lot of different ways for me. I, of course, saw it in a lot of the movements of the plot, right? Like, we have Nathan's, you know, betrayal of Elena, which comes up a number of times throughout the story. Uh, we have uh, Nathan's brother's betrayal of everybody, basically, of setting up the, the Alvarez uh, bullshit plot and of basically yeah. saying, like, hey, I'm going to die. This guy's going to kill me. Of basically double-crossing Rafe and Nathan and everybody, everybody. You've got, I mean, all of that on the story level, which is happening. But I also started to realize that it's woven into the mechanics of the game as well. Um, because, you know, with any of these games, particularly ones with, that are excruciatingly sort of uh, linear, um, and a game like, a game series like Uncharted, where it's built upon really common core mechanics that they've been refining and refining over and over again, let's think about the climbing, right? The game teaches you about certain climbable ledges and surfaces, and in that, it establishes a very baseline trust with the player. Hey, you jump towards this thing that casts this kind of a shadow or is shaded in this kind of a color, and you will catch it. You will hold it. And what is one of the most exciting moments of any Nathan Drake climbing sequence? When the ledge inevitably breaks out from under you. And it's, this, it's that moment of uh, showing you a system and making you trust it and making you fully accept it. And then the moments where they, you know, they take it away from you. Uh, that really, I think, to me, form the, the core competency and the most exciting and most definitive moments of the Uncharted series. That just became really, really... Uh, it kind of became more clear to me in, a, in, in The Thief's End because even in the title, there's like this implied, like, oh, you're going to kill him. You know, this is a triple-A game. This is the last of Nathan's Drake stories of The Thief's End, mm -hmm. you know? 
okay, so it's not a thief's death. So maybe it wasn't a full... It was an obfuscation and not you a betrayal. But there's, there's this exchange, right? You know, no honor amongst thieves. This is this happens throughout lines of dialogue. So I, I started replaying the game this week just to see how many times trust uh, and betrayal come up. And it's actually woven through a lot of the dialogue. There's even, like, the famous uh, Ronald Reagan quote where, like, the brother's like, oh, you don't trust me? He's like, trust, but verify. You know, there's, like, mm-hmm. it's in there all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just felt like that was a big theme for me as I was playing through 4. Hmm. Hmm. And, yeah, I mean, I think uh, that is definitely in all of the games. Oh, God, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, like, the, he always, like, has, like, somebody that... They're like buddies. Yeah, <laughs> and then, exactly. What? At the end of the game, they wanted to get the gold themselves. Ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Except yeah, for poor Tenzin. Tenzin, man. The one guy that could have been your friend, Tenzin. Oh, in the first game? Yeah, it's the second game. I think it was the second game. Mm. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. They all blend together. <laughs> yeah, it definitely didn't feel like there were any kind of uh, plot surprises in this game no. other than maybe how long it took for Elena to show up. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. And did was, you hear that? That was the unintentional twist, right? Did you guys read that wackadoodle theory that um, Nathan dies at the end of chapter 15? Uh, so basically you're confronted on the cliff side and you're standing there with your brother, your arms are raised. You've already had the like terrible talk where Elena finds you out and runs off and Sully runs after her. And then you go deeper and deeper and you're in the jungle and you find the, you find the pirate island or uh-huh. whatever. Of the pirate community, and then you go to the top of this cliff, and then Rafe catches up with you. There's there's like the fist fight with um, yeah, badass military woman finds you, beats the crap out of you. It's the thrilling uh, three way fight where you and your brother can't take her down because she's just that hard. Uh, and then um, Rafe shows up, shoots, uh, tries to shoot Nathan. Your brother jumps in front of you, knocks you off the cliff backwards. You knock your head and you fall. And in any realistic scenario, you would have died. So this awesome fan theory picks up that Nathan, in fact, dies right there. And the next, like, 15 chapters are, like, his, like... that. It's basically, like, the five minutes of his, like, soul escaping his body. Is, like, Elena joining him, forgiving everything. (laughs) Like, fighting by his side. Like, all the rest of it basically is portrayed as this, like, uber, like, Nathan Drake fantasy. This, like, very male, very, like... And then she, like... She understands what I need from now on, and our marriage is saved by adventure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like the end of Breaking Bad as well. There's that same theory there. Oh, is there? Yeah, I mean, like, it, the, the last episode of Breaking Bad starts with Walt in the car, like, uh, and he's, like, freezing, or, like, the the window's, like, frosted over, and he's just, like, waiting there, apparently, for, seemingly for his death. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. it changes, and then, like, you know, there's kind of this redemption arc that seems, like, very cartoonish and actiony. That yeah. you, you could like that a very charitable yeah um, charitable interpretation of the end is that he <laughs> yeah. died and he's just nothing none of this happened because it's too perfect and too, it wraps up the plot yeah, too, way too, too easily yeah yeah that happens in uh, minority report too i was just reading a theory two days ago that people were like no he's captured and then the happy ending isn't just uh like contrived writing it's that he's dreaming what he wants yeah so his wife gets back together with him his ex-wife is his sort of evil boss admits it's his fault he gives <laughs> like a public embarrassment of him and he commits suicide and the world is saved yeah it's like, uh, it, yeah it's, it's really so much more yeah. interesting that he, none of that happened it's a dream yeah i think it's just i think all of these are just they wrote the like the like not realistic <laughs> ending because they're like oh, but that's a kind of you know 
Sunshine and Rainbows ending. We gotta have that. We gotta have that. But it's like, I mean, it's funny because that's what we want in fiction. We want, like, a nice wrapped-up ending. Like, when that doesn't happen, like, generally, most people are pretty upset. I wanted Nathan to die! I just want, I want to, like, I want to kill Western characters. Like, we just, and I want them to stay dead, too, man. I just think it's so, because it was like what you were saying when we were talking about Jenny LeClue. It's like, the serial just does not allow true character progression. And in some ways, neither did this series of Uncharted, because... Really, where do we find them at the end? We find that, like, people are people. We have our base motivations. We almost, like, in a, in a sort of, like, philosophical sense, we can go... We can boil ourselves back down to our first principle. We can go no deeper. We cannot betray our internal truth. And it, you know, it just so happens that they coupled up, right? That, like, once they started telling the truth to each other, yeah, like, she was the, like, adventurous journalist that we knew she was from the beginning of the series. You know, Sully is never going to get over being an unrepentant thief. Nathan is a climbing ass adventurer and he knows that's what he does best. So like, why can't we all play our roles, man? Like, I don't know. Did it feel any different from the end than it did in the beginning? I mean, the beginning seemed almost inconsequential. I mean, shit, the real beginning of the game was in media res. We were already bleeding on a motorboat, right? Like, we knew where this was going. Well, I mean, obviously... The, the changes in his self-awareness. I mean, whether or not that's satisfying, I think there, it, there is a difference in, in his understanding of himself. And the thief's end can be interpreted as like, yeah, he's not really a thief anymore. Sure, now he's, he's done legit. Now he's just like, yeah, I want to yeah. be an adventurer. I get permits now. Yeah, I get permits. Yeah, that's his big, that's his big change. You know? <laughs> permit. and, Permitting yeah, process. And it's it's like, the big one. <laughs> it's not necessarily like, I think this has been something that's like super obvious that I don't didn't I don't want to talk about too much, but I think that it, like I said, it's like a post Last of Us game. Like it it's like yes. it's a game where um, I forget the lead writer Druckmann or no? yeah Neil Druckmann yeah Druck because he took over the writing of Uncharted Four after uh, the lead writer left yeah. to go work yeah, at Amy, Pixar or Amy something. Henning right? I think Amy Henning yeah, yeah I think she may have taken a gig yeah. at Pixar but it's like this is his head like we're inside of his head especially at the end of the game because I'm like. Okay, you know, it's you like get it. You daughter, daughter redemption. We yeah, get it. daughter redemption. And I mean, as much I, I did really like like all of that stuff. Like I thought it's 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 refreshing in a game, but it's also at this point we've super covered it. Like it's really about you know like game designers are dads now. Like you know the yeah. God of, the God of War we... trailer just came out and it's like you know oh yeah Viking son shit. He's totally. like yeah he's like now he's a dad. Yeah, just make him a dad. Deep in the dadism of. <laughs> video games right now right yeah yeah, yeah. it's super reflective i think well, being just generationally like, for consoles even when we look at just i know i'm sorry to get like publisher markety for a second but like the market has grown up you know what i mean like yeah especially when it comes to console video games and triple a console video games these are games that are now predominantly being bought by and played by and not just bought by but bought by and played by guys our age right guys who are in the process of or have already begun starting a family um have their own income their own household their own whatever so it's it's definitely it's changing. It's like the cover image of Facebook, man. When yeah. we first joined up after school, it was a bunch of kids partying, and now it's a dad like throwing his daughter up in a pool and shit. I mean, it's and it's written it's explicitly in the game by you playing Cra- Crash Bandicoot in the beginning yeah. and end. And they're like, "Remember, we used to make games when you were a kid. Yeah, <laughs> we made games yeah. when you were in high school. Remember this? Like, you know, we're still with you now. But now that you know, now yeah. we have to deal with adult concerns, like." We're dealing with, you know, uh, shaky marriages. We're dealing with moving on from the dangerous lifestyle. It's very, ex- like, it's super explicitly written into, like, every part of the game that, 
they're like, we're old. We're getting older. The <laughs> we're we're old now. <laughs> Which I feel like, you know, obviously Last of Us really introduced it um, narratively into that, like how they tell stories. Like it almost feels like Neil Druckmann isn't going to, he can't go home again. He's not making, he's not, he can't make any, you know, Indiana Jones ripoffs anymore. That's like our like classic uh, bucking hero, like uh, adventure, like stories. Like he, yeah. He uh, he really has like he's very like stuck or he's very I don't know if it's stuck but committed to this 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 stage in his like auteur life. Yeah, I think and I think that's what made the kind of weirdest part of the game right is it did need to be a Indiana Jones adventure AAA romp, but it wanted to have a story that that didn't work with that, and yeah. that's where you got some just weird plot choices and characters who you know move move the ball like an inch instead of any kind of like sea change which i'm also like i'm i like characters who don't change and everything changes around them as well but even that didn't really happen yeah sure interestingly enough and i think the most rational person at all was the female military leader which is an interesting thing to say A, a, a head of a mercenary force essentially played exactly her character she was the most reasonable she was the most reasonable she was just like let's stop yeah. Let's walk yeah. away. I'll kill him now. Like, let's end all this, like, waffling yeah. and bullshit, and let's just get the money or yeah. or not. Yeah. Let's just go. <laughs> um, can, can we just talk about, um, they don't have to get into it, but I'm just confused. The, like, pirate um, Disney World what was, that? was so elaborate, <laughs> and I didn't understand what they were trying to do if that was supposed to be a real thing. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's a puzzle. At first, right, so just, just narratively, right, it was a puzzle to recruit pirates to the pirate mm. island mm. and then to extract their wealth and then give it to the head pirates on the other side of the island. Yes. So that the so all kind of like pirates would steal pirates. from other pirates <laughs> yeah. because they were like, it's easier to steal from other pirates. It was like they tried to create their own tax-free pirate utopia for their wealth, but they were still pirates, so they still betrayed <laughs> each other's trust. Right. <laughs> And once, even, there's just no way. But they like they they built these like incredibly elaborate structures that could never yeah. have been accomplished without like a very well um, designed society and like tax system and government system. Yeah, that and required then the, like specialized workers yeah. for sure. <laughs> I think I think this is where for me the actual the hardest part is a like um, a different sort of like uncanny valley is where this game the the photorealism and the polish and the level of detail becomes so high that things that before kind of like limbo where I could accept it as more kind of cartoony exaggerated start to become like weird. 100% agree. Like how elaborate their pirate trap is. The fact that he is climbing rocks and jumping on poles for like hours. And (laughs) I'm sorry, but he never even wears like gloves or anything. He's like, He's it's dead. such a little thing, but I was like, you guys have so much detail in this game. Yeah. Isn't it bizarre that he's jumping like from pole to pole on a cliffside with no, like, anything? Yeah. Very like, well said. Totally. Very, very well said. And actually, since considering both of us played uh, Uncharted 3 as well, I think the other thing that really struck me uh, as a kind of a dissonant moment where I, I, you know, I thought I understood Nathan's motivations... There were a couple moments that kind of betrayed my own trust and understanding of who Nathan was, which was, you know, we went back to his past again. We went back to Nathan as a child to establish the presence of his brother. 
But that weirdly, that Nathan that we saw in Uncharted 4, that young Nathan that we saw in Uncharted 4, was such a sad boy, was such a was such a wounded, you know, child, um, and was nowhere near the like museum robbing child that we met in the back in time sequences from Uncharted 3. Now I haven't done the job of placing them in a narrative sequence, but it really it, it's incumbent upon him that there's like these missing years obviously between when sam leaves his life uh and initially leaves his life early on um and then when he loses sam in the like jailbreak but there's some like there was some dissonance there because i was like what happened to that sad little boy at the you know at the flashback sequences of uncharted 4 we never really see him again because you know we go and we rob that old lady adventurer's house and we get a firm lesson in like adventuring is generational it's in your blood you are a genetic adventurer and then we never really revisit the sad boy who is like essentially now is like committing mass genocide of armed thugs <laughs> like how that and i know that, that was probably a part of the ludo narrative dissonance that you know Druckmann and company were responding to is like how is this like lovable like almost like Mark Wahlberg-y guy, like also a mass murderer. That still is a completely open, unresolved question for me. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's not out of self-defense. Because no. it's, it's... His, his moments of, of de-escalating violence only come when he's beat. Only when the paramilitary leader has seriously handed him his ass. And he's like, whoa, whoa, violence isn't the answer. And you're like, but friend, it was a second ago. <laughs> it was. So I just, I, I don't know if you guys have had any insights on that because that was just a big open for me i was like what who is this guy i mean i think i think they they have essentially don't want to answer that question (laughs) they can't Um, maybe i mean like it's what it was very true and um for bioshock infinite uh that game was more what's what's his name (laughs) the guy who made it uh not tucker something like that walker bucker Anyway, big <laughs> history fucker. I don't even know. The creator of Bioshock Infinite. And oh, the, and the creator, sorry. Yeah, and the Bioshock series. Yeah, yeah. And System Shock. I mean, he came out and said, like, you know, you, we can't, you can't make... I don't want to... I'm not interested in making a game that's not a shooter. I'm not interested in making a puzzle game or whatever. I, I want to... This is what I want to make. And so, like, I think they've, they've, they've danced around it and they've sidestepped it. But they still want, you know, they want to ultimately make it a, a, an Indiana Jones uh, right. archetypal game. And that is what they it'll continue to make. Yeah. Actually, I had a, like uh, something I, that I wanted to ask you to was like you mentioned that scene in the attic, and I also really like the scene in the end with the daughter. Like I, I love the the like you were saying the level of detail and the the um, verisimilitude and the polish of the world is so good. And when you're like walking around it and picking up things and like basically acting as you would in a walking simulator like any of the, these other games that have come on the past few years that have created their own genre like could it work in it could uncharted work as a, a walking simulator i mean like, i kind of want to see that um game like a game that I, and we have to some extent like i feel like um everyone's gone to the rapture kind of has really really good uh polish and aesthetics i thought it, it was it benefited from that but yeah but i mean you're implying like stripping the gunplay out yeah I'm, I'm implying like you know can we make a game can can naughty dog make it make a game all about the incidental parts in between the necessary uh cover shooter uh grapply you know battles sections like can you have a last of us when you're walking around the checkpoint uh that part and like you're talking to your your your, your partner about some 
Dila went bad? Or can you have an Uncharted where you're reminiscing about the past or having flashbacks and telling narrative that way? What do you think, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, I think you can, but that's not a AAA game. If people want yeah. violence as the main form of interaction. Yeah. Um, I would totally play that game because the shooting stuff is is the least interesting part to me, but it certainly would also mess with the flow of that game. Yeah. So you really have to figure out how does that work now. Though they definitely, having played the other three, they definitely in this one had a lot more climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, before it felt like the percentage of, like, climbing to shooting was, like, mostly shooting, a bit of climbing. This felt like a lot of climbing, a bit of shooting. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, but, and weirdly, I love the climbing stuff, but some of the times that got a little tiring. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's clear, like, if you remove that, you need something else, which yeah. is, like, you have to get more involved in the dialogue stuff or puzzles yeah. or... I- I actually like the way you were putting it. I think that if I if I Just had to, yeah, yeah, make it shorter. Absolutely, Definitely make it shorter. <laughs> and I think that some, I think you're you're right on target, man. Because I think so much of what makes uh, so much of what makes Uncharted so special is that it's it's achieving so many secondary and ancillary ancillary mechanics on top of a shooting adventure experience. Because like we come expecting like you know death and the binary status of our is the enemy alive or dead, which is like so crucial to just making a game or an interactive set like fun or palatable to the human psyche. If you strip that out, I think you have to add in something like Shadow of the Colossus's like grip stamina system where like climbing and I I was similarly somewhat bored by the middle end of the game by the climbing because there really are no fail states other than not thinking, other than like being like his am I seeing his hand reaching for a ledge? If not, do not press X, right? Like do not jump or activate a release until Nathan's character has told me that he can make it. So I think some amount of like obfuscating that, making the player rely more upon their sensory ability to perceive climbable ledges, plus some sort of like, you know, vitality or grip meter might be making it interesting. But I, I too think that like it would have to be shorter. Um, I even think that the walk-in talks, the thing that makes, you know, these games so special compared to other like buddy shooters those would have to be punched up to some capacity or made interactive because right now yeah. they're they're just the most interesting way to get from one set piece to mm-hmm. another yeah i mean have, I either, have either of you played uh grow home yeah because it, i thought it'd be cool if they brought that in just like the grip just yeah i mean or like i mean obviously it's a different game yeah but it shows that you can make like climbing um more interesting uh, but i also like like assassin's creed where the climbing is pretty automatic and part of the fun is like the flow of that yeah it's true. like it's not fun because i'm really good at the details of climbing it's fun because that dude can climb unrealistically well compared to me climbing anything and yeah. that they make that generally so seamless that it's like exciting like yeah adrenaline of like wow i just jumped across a rooftop and climbed a super tall tower and then did a you know crazy swan dive into a bucket of hay and i didn't die in any of those and it was so effortless yeah that it's like really empowering it would be cool to see if they use um their daughter and she's not a mass murderer yes and so it is more like what we're saying like grow home or whatever where she's like gotta climb to the top of this mountain to find this rare treasure 
And it's mostly about her just doing that, discovering it. And if there is some evil, crazy people, it's mostly her avoiding dying. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like, so, in, Inside pulls that off, right? Exist, right? Yeah. yeah, and I love stealth games. It's fantastic. So it's basically a thief's end, a clandestine geological surveyor's beginning? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. okay, cool. Because that's I will get that DLC. This is going to be the only Uncharted game that has a story-based DLC coming. So it will be interesting to think. It. Yeah, maybe they, it could very well be that they are going to make the adventure of the daughter or maybe one of the, like the actual Malaysian job, right? That's kind of like the other yeah. elephant in the room. Like sure. It, it yeah. could be the first adventure of the husband and wife, like from start to finish. And that could also right. be rather rewarding and full of bloodlust. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I think my own answer to my question is just like, yeah, I, I agree that there is a conflict with, within AAA in terms of wanting or being able to deliver types of games that are not marketable because they don't exist outside of like the previous genres so i think that really it's just about becoming more or being okay with less of a level of production i mean i honestly like inside small team game looks amazing like it's in unity which i'm just like that's my mind is exploded by that engine is not meant especially some of the stuff they do at the end which I can't. Yeah. I don't want to spoil. Oh my! I have to know. Now. <laughs> All right, whatever. We'll leave that for but, another episode. But um, yeah, I, I think that the the group behind Gone Home showed that you can still work within like a certain area uh, area of fidelity and budget and 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 accomplish your goals. It's maybe unfair to like ask that of Uncharted because I feel like they are very much of a traditional school of gaming, which they <laughs> showed us very. Very over and over again. Yeah, Not only with the game, clearly. but in being like, remember Crash Bandicoot? That was the best game. That was the only game that we should ever make. Oh, by the way, we're <laughs> we're remastering it. Yeah, surprise. Yeah, but I think that's where it's actually really cool that they're um, for that kind of game, which is very locked Uncharted. They make sort of indie, risky choices in some of these parts, having like a lot of slow character dialogue scenes, not doing anything. Yep. You know, they're not running from someone shooting in those. They're not. Yeah. You know, there's not a helicopter blowing up the building they're in. Like that's really risky for this kind of game, right? And that's where yeah. I'm like, even if it doesn't add up, like, I was like, wow, this is like, you can feel video games on, uh, maturing 1%. Yes, yes. absolutely. still has to have all these super traditional things. Is like, but what if we have the things that, you know, which, which games are the problem of this? If everything's escapism fantasy, then that becomes the norm and that becomes boring. So the risky, interesting thing to do is have talking heads. Sure. And they're like, can we try that on top of all this other expected stuff? And they tried it, which I actually thought was my one of my favorite things. Is I don't I think they said it's all real time, right? The yeah. game, everything, all the cutscenes. So what was really impressive to me, technically and storytelling wise, is they really did try to make it feel like a, a show or a movie, like a video you were watching. Because once the game loads, if I remember, everything is a transition. There's never yes. another loading screen. Yes. And they did sneaky stuff like okay, they talk, you know, the brother and this dude are talking in the jail, and it's just a single shot in the jail cell and clearly they're loading unloading <laughs> the previous world and they're now loading up the entire jail yep but it's there's no hiccups it's seamless there's literally like you know star wars style gradient white yep. for this scene from the last scene and they do that movie move of overlapping dialogue and you even when that's not action stuff it just the story keeps going yes and it doesn't take you out of that world and that thing's subtle but i bet it did a ton of technical stuff to make that work yeah. sure the technical and wizardry i thought that was actually a really amazing thing you know a lot of people won't notice or appreciate, but really added to that maturity of the game. Absolutely. These guys are certainly auteurs. They certainly studied film. I think, you know, they, they fit squarely into that camp where, like, 
even the people who would bemoan Hideo Kojima's like old uh, Metal Gear Solid games, you've got to give it to the guy. He's coming from a filmic tradition. He's coming from a filmic set of concerns. And, you know, really, I think Uncharted 4 has, you know, taken the mantle of, like, the best narrative filmic video game that we have. These Like, it's just, there's no one that can touch them in terms of that, that style of filmic storytelling. Well, it's, and it's funny because, like, I remember conversations that happened after Last of Us, which were basically like, this is the pinnacle of this kind of game. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, that's kind of the only major bummer about Uncharted 4, which I feel like it's like, this is the same thing. <laughs> like, this is, yeah. this is it's more... It's a different genre. It's a film. different genre but it's like i mean i guess that's yes if you treat it as a genre it kind of makes sense like you know naughty dog game like that's their genre like they are making the the best action platformer cutscene heavy games that are available yeah um and they'll maybe continue doing that and you know as long as you're not looking for a sea change in that respect like you'll be satisfied but i think um for me, definitely, like, Last of Us still stands out as a game that, that was a big step up from their previous games. And I feel like Uncharted 4 is kind of, it's on the same plateau. Yeah, it's evolution, as Last not of, revolution. Last of Us, yeah. yeah. And they had the benefit of Last of Us not having a pre IP or whatever. Yeah. Right? yeah. So they could kind of do more of what they wanted to do. I would love them to, to work with a new IP. Like, you know. The sky's the limit at this point, though, because if they're really retiring Uncharted, it's yeah. time for then Maybe them. they have to do one. And actually, guys, out of respect of time, if there's any parting shots you guys want to take, I know we've eaten up a lot of your day today, Joe. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I just, I just really love the uh, the overall experience. It was just so. It's just, it's just hard to complain when, when it's just so well done. Totally. And you just rarely get. It's you know like dining at the nicest. <laughs> restaurant on earth and you're like well i don't really eat seafood and this is a seafood <laughs> restaurant but can i really complain it's just so good that is know? the best way I, I that's it man that's it it's the best way to describe uncharted Four. it's like yeah you have it's like to. a michelin star restaurant. yeah you gotta do it man you're like i well, just want a hot dog it's like yeah <laughs> it's like ice cream but it's like the ice cream that has like the gold leaf on top of it it oh, costs like a thousand dollars man yeah there's a saffron infused yeah, ice cream? exactly. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's not good yeah. for you, but it's still like you gotta admire the handiwork. Best damn ice cream I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, I kind of yeah. could get some. It's ice a Michelin cream. star hot dog. Yeah, right? exactly. I like that. It's a Michelin star hot dog. We should put that in the package. That's that's it. That's the byline for this uh, for this game of the hour. And guys, audience, whoever's out there listening, thank you all so much for uh, for checking in. And we just want to, of course, say thank you to Joe yeah. for taking your time um, and wish you the best, man. Jenny Leclue, everybody, check it out if you haven't checked it out yet. Yeah, we're really excited to play it and you know see what cool. you put together there. There's no shooting at all. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm, I'm there. I'm we there. should when it's out, when it's finally out, we should do uh, Jenny Leclue as one of our games of the hour. Yeah, we, I'd love to. It would be awesome. You know. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for you guys to hear it. <laughs> no, no, man. Oh, we loved it. We're gonna. I can't We wait. loved Uncharted Four. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. I guess as someone who's actually listened to multiple episodes, we must sound pretty curmudgeonly, but we do enjoy <laughs> some of the games that we play. Yeah, just all good. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome to be part of it. Cheers, man. Thank you so much. And of course, uh, as always, old school Brian at old school Brian. Yeah, thanks uh, on for Twitter intro. For yeah, the intro music. Uh, and we will check in with y'all crazies soon. <laughs> check check you out later. <laughs> Boom. And in clap. Clap.